Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, and with me as always is Chris. And uh, Chris, we are here recording during the All-Star break. Um, the All-Star break that seems longer than ever, even though it's the same length as it's been the last couple of years. But there, there was actually some pretty exciting Mets stuff that happened in the last uh, few days. So we're going to get to all of it. But I think the place we have to start is with Pete Alonso's uh, dominant victory at the Home Run Derby. This is his second in a row. There was no Derby in 2020, rather. So he won 2019. He won 2021. He won 2020, uh, 2019, rather. Uh, but Vlad Jr. was sort of the star of that derby hitting i think it was 91 home runs something like that over the course of his rounds but because mm -hmm. of the way the matchups worked out you know pete had won the derby this year pete was the absolute star hitting 35 home runs in the first round and then not requiring too much effort to win the next two competitions either um i know there is no practical value in being great at the home run derby but it's pretty fun to be great at the home run derby isn't it yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, going into it, he had this attitude that he was going to win it, and uh, and he did. And and it didn't look like it was difficult for him to do. Uh, it, you know, it's crazy to watch these these guys who are all of the players in the league are extremely gifted uh, professional athletes. It, seeing them get tired doing things is like a, a very good indicator of how hard those things are. Mm -hmm. So watching some of the other guys and, and you know, this time format uh, can lend itself to a little bit of like the tortoise and the hare where <laughs> you're just trying to get to the next round. But uh, but a bunch of those guys in the first round looked like they tired themselves out quite a bit uh, in the process. So to not only watch Pete hit monstrous home runs uh, and, and at such a high rate, but to to just look relaxed uh, and like he wasn't trying too hard and, and big, big time credit to Dave Jouse too, who, uh, you know, served up just perfect batting pra practice uh, pitches for, for Pete to hit there. But, but yeah, it's, it is a lot of fun. Um, I think, oh, I think Mets fans overwhelmingly are, are totally into it. And I thought it seemed like the crowd in Colorado got into it too, even though their guy was eliminated. Um, yeah. You know, Pete, taking his timeouts to pump up the crowd basically like it, it didn't even look like he took them to uh to, to get himself a, a breather it was more optional um and yeah he hit the most home runs in every round obviously uh you have to do that in the in the semifinal and the final um his total would have been even higher if uh you know if it wasn't sort of like um you know a walk-off format yeah, in the semis, it seemed like he was just he he could have kept going for another ten or twelve home runs. In the finals, he maybe was tiring a bit. But I don't know if he was just slowing down because he knew he had it. <laughs> like it's right. There's an insane level of confidence with Alonso with the Derby. Oh yeah, yeah. But I, I it, you know, I absolutely love it. It's you think back. Um, obviously, there have been Mets in home run derbies before, but and and some really great players but i know i know it's just an exhibition sort of fun contest or whatever but it's nice to have a met who is just like yep he's gonna go in there he's gonna win it and uh there's not really anything anybody can do about it 
Yes. That is that is absolutely a, a fun thing. And I hope that he keeps doing it. Like, I, as much as I, I want other people to get a chance to do it, like, there's something fun about just having a guy... Like, it, it's fun to be able to identify a very specific skill that one guy is just the best in the world at doing and watching that guy do his thing. Yeah. Yeah, I know. And we, we have the luxury of having the best in-game pitcher on the planet <laughs> uh, doing that and, you know, in, in games that count uh, in, in the standings. But it is pretty awesome to have Alonzo there. Um it just what a perfect match between the person and the event. Yes. And uh, it, it's one of those things. I know I know he didn't give like a firm answer on whether or not he would participate next year, but I, I can't imagine there's any part of him that wouldn't. Uh, you know, I, he, he very much believes that he is the best at this, and he is. <laughs> yes. I mean, so, like, I don't know, these guys are all super competitive, and there's a little money in it, and he's still not making much as a, as a guy who um, is early in his major league service time. So I'd fully expect that he'll be back. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd pick him to win. Yeah, you know, and, and it was it was a nice story having Trey Mancini in the finals with him. You know, Mancini beating cancer and coming back to being uh, a very good baseball player is a fantastic story. And I don't think anybody would have been upset had Mancini won, just right. just for that piece of it. Um, my brother pointed out to me. He said, "You know, I, I I'm a little bit surprised that Pete didn't sort of tank it for Mancini, but but you know, these are professional athletes; they're incredibly competitive. But also, the million dollar prize is like twice his salary, right? Because he's still pre pre arb, um, right? Isn't this his last year pre arb?" Yeah, yeah, you know, he's still made. It's not technically the minimum, but it's close, um, and it's still a very nice salary by normal yes, absolutely. adult standards. Yes. But yes. yeah, no, you get out there and you've got that, and and look, uh, I, I think you can still highlight and appreciate the Mancini story. Um, but he's going out there and playing regular season games against a bunch of other teams that are trying to beat him too, and I know. I know the Derby isn't a regular season game, but I don't these these dudes go out there and they try to win. Like that's just yes. that's just what happens. So it's not the the fact that he was in the Derby and the fact that he put on a good show of his own. Uh, that's a you know that that's a pretty cool story to uh, to run with. You know, if he had lost in the first round, it would still be like everything he does this year and beyond is still a great story. Yeah. You know, Peter Alonso didn't like ruin the story. No, <laughs> no, he and, did uh, not. you know, even, even in the home run derby, you don't want to see a guy just roll over. Right. You know, I mean, it, cause then, then you end up with the guy who is the good story where like, okay, he's, you know, now people are going to say, well, Oh, Pete, let him win. You know? And like, that's, you don't want that. Like go out and do what you do. And if you win, great. If not, uh, you know the photos of the two of them at the end are still uh, they're still pretty awesome. Absolutely, yes. So I would say if we're sort of ranking the most important things that happened for the Mets this week in terms of like media attention, number one would definitely be Pete in the Derby. Number two would be the drafting of Kumar Rocker with the number ten spot in the 2021 MLB First Year Players Draft. Um, 
we have a, a podcast on our network called From Complex to Queens that I'm sure many of you are listening to, and if you're not, you should. But they have done now, they did a mock draft episode on Saturday and then two follow-up episodes on the first two nights of the draft. And so they covered this co- this topic in far greater context and depth than Chris or I will be able to. But Rocker was one of the two or three biggest names in the draft. It's somebody that I had heard about you know, a while ago as a stud pick that will never fall to the Mets, <clears throat> to the Mets, excuse me. And, um, you know, uh, he fell to the Mets and he's uh, a right-handed pitcher from Vanderbilt. He, he was a consensus top 10 pick from the sort of three big lists. Fanographics had a uh, fan, fan graphs, Fantagraphics makes comic books, folks. Fangraphs does baseball stuff. Fangraphs <laughs> had him seventh, uh, baseball perspective, eighth and baseball America fifth. Um, you know, this is, is extremely exciting for for the Mets, especially for a Mets system that is somewhat depleted at upper level minors depth. You know, our our minors crew had said they wouldn't be surprised if he is a September call up in twenty twenty two. So to be drafted in twenty twenty one and potentially have your big league debut the next year, that doesn't happen all that often. And it certainly doesn't happen with a player this highly regarded all that often. So the Mets got a steal here, an absolute steal at 10. And um, I don't have anything super cogent to say about his stuff. I've never seen him pitch. I've seen a couple of, of GIFs on Twitter and a couple of uh, short videos, but I'm no scout. Uh, do you have anything to say about Rocker aside from just, hey, we got Rocker. That's good. Um. Yeah, I think I think that sums it up pretty nicely. I would just add that he's uh, he's somebody who uh, I, I know Thomas had tweeted out sort of where where he'd put him in his rankings and and uh, maybe some of the other guys did too, and I just missed it. But this is somebody who's going to be considered, I think, one of the Mets' top five, if not top three prospects immediately. Um, that's a lot of fun, especially when you know that three of them are, uh, you know, gaining attention nationally. Um, you know, baseball prospectus put three Mets in its midseason top 50 list. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say that as as Mets fans, they try not to, at least the Jeff and Jarrett part of <laughs> of that crew, which is most of it, you know, they're, they're running the show with the prospectus minor league coverage. Um, and I think if anything, they try hard not to overhype Mets prospects. Right. So the fact that those three still made that list of theirs, um, you know, that that's something that uh, kind of stands out. So to, to say that the Mets might have, you know, it, it's that list comes out before the draft for a reason. Um, but going into the off season, it's entirely possible, especially if Alvarez, Mauricio and, uh, Batty, is it Batty or Beatty? I, I have heard it both right. ways and I, I, I refuse <laughs> to find out apparently. <laughs> yeah. We'll go with Batty cause you know, it sounds baseball-y. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. But those, the fact that those three have had such a good year, if, if they finish strong, uh, you know, I, I think any reasonable speculation is that Rocker is not going to really pitch much himself this year. You know, maybe they give him a few short appearances somewhere, um, you know, between now and the end of the minor league season. But, 
I don't know. The Mets could have four of the top 50 prospects in baseball going into next season. Um, and that's, I don't know. It's, it's an exciting thing when your major league team is also good. Yeah, and I think it's something that bodes well for the future. You know, we were on uh, Spotify Green Room on Monday having actually I thought a really great conversation with a bunch of baseball fans about all different stuff. If you guys aren't aren't joining us on Spotify Green Room, we're doing it once a week or so. And uh the conversation we had was we talked about like baseball expanding to different cities and lots of interesting chats, but somebody asked Chris and I what we felt was the Mets window for contention and we sort of both a little bit balked at the question because it's a little bit hard to I don't like talking about that sort of stuff because it's hard to really get a sense of it. But the consensus has been around the Mets for the last year or so. There's a lot of talent in the lower minors, but there was nobody like right on the precipice of breaking through and being a huge star. Well, now you're seeing some of those people make that jump. And so then you start thinking about, well, you know, I want the Mets to re-sign Marcus Stroman for next year. But if Kumar Rocker is going to be a piece in the rotation in 2023, then that free agent signing isn't as big of a deal because you have a highly regarded prospect, hopefully coming a year and a half from now or so, you know, two years from now, whatever the case may be. And I'm not saying you don't, you never, I know teams don't operate that way. You don't, you don't operate on the major league level based on what might happen two years from now. But it's just nice to look at the plan for a couple of years and think, well, okay, if Conforto walks and if, you know, Stroman walks, and if they don't, uh, you know, if they if they can't keep Syndergaard, it's just nice to see that there are that there are prospects coming up, and that not all of the help needs to be found elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, and you you want to see them retain some of the guys that are on the roster that are set to hit free agency. Uh, certainly open to them bringing in more guys uh, from outside the organization at any given time. But yeah, it, it, we continue to say, and, and, and we mean it, like we don't care about Steve Cohen's money if he needs to spend a little more to make the Mets a little bit better. But um, there is still, there, there's some value and excitement in that homegrown stud prospect coming up and making his debut for your team. Um, you know, there's just, there's absolutely nothing wrong with getting players uh, who you didn't draft and develop. Right. Uh, I, I love Francisco Lindor. He was not drafted by the Mets. <laughs> but but there, there's just something to it where, okay, that that's your guy from day one. Uh, he comes up and, and uh, you know, to the extent that the Mets have a budget for payroll, uh, teams definitely – take advantage of uh you know those years that guys are super cheap so you know i'm not i'm not rooting for players to uh to not make money uh by any means here but when you go out and just look at it from a sort of logical standpoint of, of what a team might do uh if if rocker's presence makes them more inclined to spend money on upgrades elsewhere then hey that's great. Um, you know, especially in the short term, while Jacob deGrom is still as good as he is, um, you know, you can, you can go, I, I would hope one lesson from last off season would be not that you have to pay every reliever who's out there, but maybe put a little more 
resources into the bullpen over the winter. Um, because even though it's been good, it sure would be nice to have one or two other guys who were out there all winter that they chose not to sign um, going into the second half. Yes, agreed. So I would say number three on the list of things that happened this week that we have to talk about is Taiwan Walker pitched in the All-Star game last night. It was good to see him out there. He had to give up a, a home run in his one inning of work, but it's the All-Star game. It's not as big of a deal as people make it out to be in terms of import. But I do like that Walker was recognized for the great season that he is having. Uh, as loyal listeners know, I was very high on that signing early on, and I totally expected to eat crow over it during the season, but Walker has been a really nice surprise, and although he has cooled down a little bit since um, the start of the season, he still seems like he is just operating at a higher level than he has the last couple of years, uh, and I know that some of that was injury-related, but it seems like he just has more of a game plan going out there, and it's been really nice to see. Um, any All-Star game notes you have? No, no, not really, just other than being happy for him getting a getting to go there and uh there's you know there's nothing wrong with guys getting named when uh, when other players don't make it so the fact that jacob Degrom chose to rest and not go uh and that walker got to be one of the guys who who got that secondary uh you know slot on the team uh, that doesn't diminish it at all that that's it's well deserved um i actually think it's kind of a nice thing that, that more guys get that honor that way because yes, agreed uh, look some seasons you might say oh man i don't know if there's you know enough true all-stars to fill a roster um but most years you, you end up with some guys who have been really good and and get snubbed um not through anything particularly malicious but just there's you know there's only so many slots and and you're trying to figure out a way to put that roster together and and play that full game um so yeah no uh, very happy for him and uh, anytime a met is in an all-star game uh as long as their play doesn't cost the national league the game that's fine like if, they, <laughs> yes. if they have a great game and help the national league win cool uh if they don't have a great game but it wasn't the difference in the game then you know that that's okay i mean even he in his post-game comments i think um you know, even giving up the home run. I think he was like, oh, that's, that's, it was still fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's not the player's fault that the league has this stupid home field advantage in the World Series thing tied to the All-Star game still. <laughs> so my I'm brother just... and I were talking about that last night. So my brother is in town and we went to a bar last night to watch the game together and just ha hang out. And we were talking about this. And do you think there's any reason to have to give people more of an opportunity to watch the All-Star game. Shouldn't the All-Star game be enough? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and I, I really don't think it's like, uh, oh, this this factors into the scheduling of the World Series that nobody knows the teams of yet. So obviously, in some sense, every, uh, you know, every fan is going to want their league to win because hypothetically their team might get to the World Series and you'd want to have the chance to go to four games instead of three. But it's not pushing numbers. You know, it's not, it's not right. the, people aren't like, oh man, got to see who's, uh, who's going to get that home field advantage. 
I, I, I just don't understand why it's not. With so much interleague play and and I don't know, it's less arbitrary to just say whichever team had more wins. Right, exactly. Like hey. it's it's just not hard. They, whichever did <laughs> the World Series, throw out whether they were a wild card team or not, you know, throw out any any of that other stuff, just okay. American League team, National League team. This one won ninety eight games, this one won ninety two. There you go. Uh, it's just not it doesn't need to be more complex than that. And it's uh, it's amazing to me uh, that like the gimmicks that Major League Baseball comes up with are so lame. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong about that. Um, you know, one of the things that we were talking about last night was, you know, it used to be because there wasn't interleague play, the only time that you saw, you know, Nolan Ryan pitched to Ken Griffey Jr. was in the All-Star game, right? And so that's probably a bad example because Ryan played a lot in the AL. You understand what I'm saying. There were players who you didn't get to see play all that often. Roger Clemens only pitched to Dot to Daryl Strawberry in the 86 World Series or in the All-Star Game, right? Those are things that just didn't happen a lot. And so there was a lot of intrigue because you were getting these dream matchups that you didn't get to see. And with interleague play killing that, I understand that they felt the All-Star Game needed something. But to me, they should just be – I mean – this is the most exciting group of all-stars that they've had in terms of players that have swagger, players that have confidence, players that are having fun with it. It seemed to me like everybody was having a far better time um, last night than I've seen, you know, elsewhere when, you know, in previous all-star games, this crew just seems to be really into being a team, being all-stars together, they were having so much fun. That should be enough. And show that, Major League Baseball. Show people having a damn good time playing the game. That's all people want to watch. That's it. Yeah. This isn't rocket science. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's... And I think... It, it just continues to amaze me, not only with the gimmicks being what they are, but like... Baseball talks about what's wrong with baseball more than any other sport, and it's just a little weird that it's such a, a focus. You know? Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with, uh, like, diehard baseball fans who are into the All-Star game. And I think a lot of times, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's not 100%, but you've got enough people who are going to tune in and check it out because the, you know, the week starts and you're like, ah, you know, I don't, I don't really care about the all-star game, but then you go, Oh, there's four nights without my team playing. Um, right. Oh, maybe let me check this out. And, and yeah, um, I don't know that it really so much needed any fixing. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, all right, well, we want to keep this kind of a short episode with it being the All-Star break and all that, but we do want to look forward a little bit to the second half. We've talked about some potential trade targets. We've talked about some, um, you know, maybe uh, lower-end starting pitching. It does look like Carlos Carrasco is is going to be joining the team very shortly. Let's hope that's actually the case. J.D. Davis is coming back. So the Mets are going to be at, as close to full strength as they're probably going to get in the next two or three weeks. Um, aside from getting some more pitching depth, is there anything that you think the Mets absolutely have to do, change, 
or approach this second half than differently than they did in the first half? Um. Hmm. Yeah, I guess it's mostly the trade stuff, and and like you said, we've we've touched on that quite a bit already. Um, I'll take a little bit more of a dive into some of the relief pitchers who are on the, those same teams that we were talking about in terms of targeting starting pitchers. Uh-huh. But yeah, maybe just tell Francisco Lindor he's not allowed to bunt in the second half. <laughs> I love him. That's the only thing I don't like about his entire existence as a Met is just that. Just don't bunt. Yeah, We know you're good and, and, and the bat has heated up quite a bit. Um, you know, that that's a small thing. Um, I know I don't have any, I, I, I don't want to say I don't have any, but I don't have any major gripes with Rojas, but I know a lot of Mets fans have been frustrated by some of his in-game decisions. Um, but it's sort of wishful thinking to think any manager is going to change what they, you know, what they do with those in the middle of a season or at all. Um, obviously Mickey Calloway was, had <laughs> did, did things that were far worse uh, that that we didn't know about, but that the baseball world did. Uh, but anyway, he, as a manager, strictly, you come in and you're like, all right, first time manager, let's see what this guy does. And you you run into some frustration points in those like first few months or even the first full season. And then you hope that they learn from it and change. And it, having seen it happen a couple times now, it, that doesn't happen. Like w- the manager you get in the first two weeks of any manager's career is the manager that person is. Um, all of which is to say, I, I think Rojas is fine, but you, you know, the front office is heavily involved in a lot of those things. So I think, you know, having this break um, and it, it'll be pretty quick between now and the trade deadline when they know who they have and sort of, uh, finalize their you know their plan what what to do in certain situations uh and all that um i think they should keep up the great work with positioning and shifting um i know every now uh, once in a while um the other team beats the shift and that happens but we know on a longer term uh timeline that 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 work they're doing is good um it's it's definitely helped and not to take anything away from the starting pitchers, but when you do those things correctly and, and you have good pitchers out there, that's how you end up with, uh, I mean, barely anybody spun the ball and play against DeGrom, but <laughs> right. it's still how you end up with DeGrom having historically great numbers. Um, and, and Walker and Stroman, uh, it obviously have benefited from it too. Um, and I think they'd, they'd be, you know, the first people to say that Stroman, uh, being sort of a, the biggest fan of his defense when he's on the mound, when something goes well. So yeah, all of that is to say that there's not a whole lot. It, it's more just like, I think Conforto is going to be great. I think McNeil is going to be great. Um, I think Lindor has a monster second half to, and ends up, you know, as most players do, uh, especially players on that level ends up with a, a stat line that looks kind of like one of his normal stat lines by the end of the year um so yeah that's i wish i had a more specific idea of of something to change but but just my thing if they want to go get chris bryant or another position player um and 
and mix things up a little bit more on on that side of the roster, I'm on board. That's fine. You know, I'm 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 certainly not going to complain with upgrades, but just go get a starting pitcher at least and a reliever or two, and uh, you know ha- have that depth so that if guys continue to have minor injuries in the second half or get tired or, or whatever, you just have a little more flexibility. Um, oh, we, we didn't mention uh, that Zapucky underwent season-ending surgery. Yes, we forgot to mention that. That is important news. But that, So that, that factors in, too. Not that it seemed like they really thought that he was the answer um, for a rotation spot down the stretch on a contending uh, team. But, yeah, I don't know. I would... I would hope that that plus Eikhoff struggling again and in, in his uh, outing, you know, just before the break, not that he was disastrous or anything, but just, I don't know, not great. Castro's struggles over the last you know month, month and a half now. Um, there's enough evidence there that they do just need to get a little more help with some arms. And, and as we've been saying over and over, they can just be capable arms. They don't have to be, um, Scherzer and Barrios, you know? <laughs> right, right. I mean, damn, I uh I have been stumping for Kenta Maeda, so we're not we're not talking about a truly uh you know, a truly elite pitching here. We're just looking for a little bit of help. Um so yeah, a, a couple of things I wanted to mention just about the second half what I would hope maybe would happen is um, you know, Luis Rojas is not a very good manager when it comes to bullpen decisions, and I, I'm not going to belabor this point because I think that a lot of people are have said this better than I can, and you know that's fine. I just feel like so I was at the game on Sunday, and the Mets had a five run lead in the bottom of the first, and you know Ikoff did not look fantastic and whatever, but. Rojas left Miguel Castro in for a second inning when he barely got through the first inning, and we and Drew Smith wound up being available. We had thought from the stands that maybe oh maybe the problem here is that Drew Smith isn't available and so they have to ride Castro for a second inning, but Smith was available, and so by bringing in by not bringing in Smith, Castro got into trouble, and then Diaz had to come in and attempt the five out save which he did not get, and then Smith came in. And, you know, um, in the ninth inning when Diaz continued to falter. And so if Smith was available, I don't understand why why Rojas wouldn't have gone Castro, Smith, Diaz. And I know this seems like a small point that I'm belaboring here, but I feel like things like that have happened a lot with Rojas. I really, really don't like his bullpen management. And I think that on almost every other part of his job, he has improved since last season. But this is one area where he he hasn't improved very much, and I would like to see that happen. And, and I don't know exactly how you um, how you make that happen. You know, I, I don't know exactly how how you tell a guy like, "Hey, don't be bad at this anymore." Um, so I, I'm not hoping for any miracles there, but I, I do hope that his bullpen practices get a little bit better, and I also hope that the starting pitching can give him more depth so he doesn't have to make those decisions. You know, the fact that there was a double header followed by a bullpen game 
is like a nightmare for a manager. And I totally understand why that's a tough thing to uh, to do, you know, to, to manage. But I just feel like he could manage that better. Aside from that and Lindor not bunting, to me, those are the big changes I would make uh, going into the rest of the season. But ultimately, I think the Mets are actually in a good position. We should mention, too, that the Mets got the worst kind of help last week with Ronald Acuna Jr. being out for the season uh, with a knee injury. I believe it was a knee injury, correct? Yeah, ACL. Yeah, ACL. And, you know, that that means that the Braves, I would think, are likely not going to be able to make the push to take down the Mets. And so I think the Mets are looking in pretty good shape right now. A little bit more pitching in the bullpen, a little bit more, more pitching in the rotation, and I think that they have a good shot at winning the division, and that's a beautiful thing, despite how it despite the circumstances that might lead to it. Yeah. 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 No, that, that's, um, that, that sucked. You know, <laughs> you, you don't root for it at all, but you, you especially don't want to root for it when it's a, a guy who's that good, that young, exciting. And, and, you know, these guys, um, you know, we talked a lot about how competitive they are with respect to the home run derby, but these are guys who need, uh, or sorry, not need, want to beat, the other guy who's the best guy so uh, look you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna be like oh man it sucks that we might win some more games but on some level they you know they would love to face Acuna and and beat him just like I'm sure Freddie Freeman and, and Acuna would love to face DeGrom and beat him you know yes um so yeah that 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 was definitely a bummer not good for baseball um and and you just hope that he has a speedy recovery and is back either you know early ish or or in the middle at least of next season, so uh, you know so he can be back out there and it's a lot more fun when when that guy is uh, is on the other team even if he occasionally uh, beats you. Yes, yes. And again, we were talking before about the All Star Game and just the fun that these players are having. And Acuna is just such an infectious, fun personality. He's very good for baseball, and so him being out is very bad for baseball. Um, all right, Chris, what is your music pick for this week? So mine, I'm just making sure. Yeah, no, I, I did not do this previously. Uh, did not realize until it was pointed out a couple days ago that uh, Funkadelic's Maggot Brain Fuck came you. out 50 years ago. What, was is, that going to be your pick? Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we don't coordinate these ahead of time. Most of the time. Yes. It, it, um, <laughs> There's a record coming out in two days that I that I called no. dibs on. Okay, but, well, uh, let, 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 let's keep Maggot Brain to both of our picks. That's how strongly we feel about this record. That, yeah, um, I, it's it's the starting point. Um, you know, Parliament Funkadelic, both bands. You know, the whole universe of George Clinton. Um, it's all fantastic. In terms of listening to the records, I slightly lean towards the Funkadelic records. That's not a knock on the Parliament records, but that's just where I fall. Same. Uh, and, you know, it's you just can't go wrong with, uh, you know, one, the uh, the fact that they started a record with a 10-minute song that's basically a guitar solo. That's absolutely amazing. But, like, opening a record with that is a hell of a choice and and a, and a you know an all-time great one um and then every song that follows is just as good as it gets um you know there there's 
it's to me it's the foundation of a whole lot of music that came after it and it, it's not just that it's that listening to it is super enjoyable uh no matter how many times you do it or how how you know long it's been since your last listen whether it was yesterday or maybe six months ago or whatever um yeah just just uh one of the best one of the best of all time and you know crazy that it's a 50 year old record yes uh this is my favorite record that george clinton ever put out under any of the band names um this is in my opinion like a top maybe a top 10 all-time record for me it's pretty close if it's not that high um and, and, and like I feel like everything I want to say about this record, I could say about Maggot Brain the song because that is just an amazing guitar performance and fantastic and so different. Like if you think of what you th- what you think George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic are, and then like just from an outsider's perspective, and then you put on Maggot Brain, that is not at all what you're expecting. Like you don't expect a ten minute guitar solo that starts with a spoken word poem to be from a band called Funkadelic. But then the rest of the record really leans into what you think of as as funk. Uh, Can You Get to That is a, a classic funk song uh, covered by Mavis Staples about a decade ago. Um, I'm a big fan of You and Your Folks, Me and My Folks. It's, it's kind of a short, slight song, but I really like it. Uh, Wars of Armageddon, man, just fantastic. This whole album is so good. And it really, it really balances between like um, fun kind of dancey funk stuff and then really dark stuff that has a deeper meaning and uh it's a beautiful combination so yeah yeah Yeah, this is this is our first time having the same pick i believe yeah i think (laughs) i think you are correct it only took 70 episodes for us to do this so (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you for listening, folks. We truly appreciate it. Please check out AmazingAvenue.com for all your Mets needs. Find Amazing Avenue on social media at face at Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find this show on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. Rate, review, and subscribe. Those things help us quite a bit. Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I am on Twitter at Brian Needs a Nap. And with the second half looming, let's go Mets. 